great to be up here with some people in the room. Um, thanks for joining us at Mansfield this morning and those online as well. Um, I want to take us back, if you've been journeying with us, I want to take us back to July. July is when we started looking at this series around John's Gospel. And there was a few key things that we unpacked right at the beginning to look out for. And so one of them is that John's Gospel is a bit different to the other three Gospels in that it really focuses on who Jesus is more so than what he did or said. But that's interesting because there's a lot of what Jesus said in John's Gospel. Um, I, I shared a quote I remember in that first sermon uh, from an um, English uh, pastor, David Pawson, who said, John's Gospel enables you to understand who he is, who Jesus is as a person, so that at the end of the Gospel, to know Jesus is to know eternal life. And we unpacked there was lots of sevens to look out for. There were seven titles of seven signs or miracles. There were seven I am statements. And we're looking today at John chapter 9, and it's got all of that covered. John chapter 9, really interesting chapter um, in terms of it's nearly like a microcosm of the whole gospel into one, with the story of one person. So today we're going to be looking at the seventh title, so the Son of Man comes up in chapter 9, the um, sixth sign or the miracle, which is the healing of this man who was born blind. And remember that a sign always points to something other than itself. And we're looking at the second I am statement. I am the light of the world. So, there's a fair bit to get through. We're going to walk through most of it together and just pull out some things that, that really make sense in terms of pointing to reality and helping us understand who Jesus actually is. So, first one, chapter 9 of John's Gospel. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. And pause it there. There was a widely held assumption in Jesus' day, and guess what? I think it still exists today in many circles. A widely held assumption that some sort of sin must have been committed to result in some sort of um, thing being wrong. Whether it's a physical condition, whether it's a situation. Um, a lot of people have had this, this idea that if something's going wrong in my life, or if something's going wrong in your life, then maybe there's some unconfessed sin that's the cause of that. This was absolutely rife through Jewish teaching in Jesus' day. So therefore, the disciples, when they see this guy who's blind, they're not overly concerned about the man himself. They want to have this philosophical discussion about, so what's going on here, Jesus? Who sinned? Was it this guy, or was it his parents who sinned to result in this condition? Now, I don't know if you've asked that question at some point in your life. I'm guessing you probably have. Whether it's of yourself or whether it's of others, you know. And it's around this idea of suffering. Why is there suffering? 
big question. What I suspect, and please chat to me later if you've got something different here, what I suspect is that there is not a satisfactory answer we could be given that would make us go, okay then, I'm, I'm sweet with that, makes perfect sense. I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever asked that question, I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that, but I can't think of anything that could be said to me or said to you that would make you go, okay, fair enough. So let's look at how Jesus responds. He said, it's not actually someone's sin who causes this. He says this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Now I'm thinking that the brokenness of our world, what we experience, the hurt, the illness, the, the breakdown of relationship and financial struggles and poverty and pestilence and all, you know, world things going on. I reckon the brokenness of our pain and our lived experiences is what God works with us, the stuff he uses to bring his revelation into the world, into our situation, and it's the stuff he uses to be renewing all of creation, which is what he's all about. In the message translation of this passage, I love how Eugene Peterson has just tweaked what's going on here. And in this passage, Peterson writes this, he says, Jesus said to his disciples, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blind. There is no cause and effect going on here. Look instead for what God of redeeming things, reconciling that which is fractured or broken, redeeming that which has been lost or stolen, renewing that which is broken or not working as it should. That's what God's about. And we see Jesus deal with this guy who's been blind since he was born in this way. John is reminding us in his gospel that the kingdom of God has arrived through Jesus Christ where all things will be made new. And then we've got this second I am statement. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. You may recall back in July when we started introducing this series that there was going to be this major theme of light and darkness throughout John's gospel. And Jesus is doing the works of the one who sent him by bringing light into darkness, by bringing order out of chaos, by bringing renewal out of brokenness. And Jesus is doing that in this man's life. So we need to now look at the big picture of Scripture and we're going to be reminded of John in the first chapter of his Gospel, chapter 1, and that reflects us back to Genesis chapter 1. Let me just read a couple of the things with this idea of light and darkness from John chapter 1, then Genesis chapter 1. It won't be on your screen, just listen to this. And listen for how often the word light is used. So this is out of John chapter 1, starting in verse 4. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light, so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he came into the world he created, but the world did not recognize him. 
He came to his own people. They rejected him. But to all who believe and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, John in chapter 1 is giving a a reference to us from back to the actual creation story in Genesis chapter 1. Listen to this from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from darkness. And he called light day and darkness night. So here's Jesus. And we just read a couple of weeks ago, actually, in chapter 8, where Jesus first said to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See how that phrase is really just plugging into what we've just read from John chapter 1 and from Genesis chapter 1. It's Jesus' way of saying, I am God. I am the one who created all of this. I am the light who will shine and separate you from the darkness. I am the one who will bring the light of life, real life, into your situation. And so that was in chapter 8. And then as we unpacked chapter 8, there was all this testimony and, and discussion between Jesus and the religious leaders about can Jesus say this of himself? Is he valid in what he's saying? There was all this wrestle through that. And then we get to chapter 9 and he says it again. I am the light of the world. And so here we see John just pointing us towards who is Jesus really? Is he just a man doing these miraculous things or is he more than that? So let's continue the story. Verse 6 of chapter 9. So Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbours and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, yes, some said he was. And others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. So they asked, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes and told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, the man replied. What I love about this, now there's three instances in in the Gospels where Jesus heals a blind man. He does it differently each time. But what I love about this one is this man had to do something. He wasn't just miraculously healed on the spot. He, he, you know, Jesus spat on the ground, used his saliva to mix up into the dirt, gets a bit of clay or mud, wipes it over this man's eyes and then tells him, you've got to go and wash in this particular pool. This particular pool was probably anywhere from half a mile to a mile away from where that incident actually happened. So here's a man who would have had a pretty comfortable spot begging because he's blind, he couldn't work. And Jesus has done this thing to him and he's had to leave that and make his way through a, a city to a particular pool. Could you imagine what's going on in his mind as he's doing that journey? Is this really going to happen? Who, was it? Who is this guy who's just done this to me? 
could it be possible that at the end of this I might actually be able to see? Imagine the hope. Imagine the doubt. Imagine the conversation that's going on in his head as he's making his way as a blind man through this city. But he did something. So let's continue the story. Verse 13. Then, then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Because now he can see, right? Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among the Pharisees. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about the man who healed you? And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. So the Pharisees are struggling with what's happened here. They're they're not looking at the miracle. They're not looking at the healing. They're not looking at the renewal of some man's sight. They're looking at the, this happened on the Sabbath and our rules say you can't do things on the Sabbath. But imagine having that mindset. We could look at that and we go, how could they think like that? But you know what? I think we do at times. We do at times. What happens when God does something out of the box that we've tried to place him in? How do we cope with that? What happens when God does something you're not expecting? What happens when God does something differently to the way you think God should be working? We struggle with that. He can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And others said, but he can't be a bad man because he's doing these good miraculous things. Who is he? What does a person of God truly look like? Is a person of God just a rule keeper or an agent of renewal? I think if you ask most people in our context of, of Australia what a Christian is like, they would have this idea of a bit of a goody-goody who, who tries to keep all these rules and, and has no fun. Now, that's a bit of a broad brushstroke, but I think that would be pretty accurate, the picture of a Christian person in our nation. This was not Jesus. And so the story continues at this point with the man's parents being called in to give testimony um, and, but they're actually afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. So um, at this point, the, the religious leaders had said, if anyone says Jesus, this Jesus guy from Nazareth, if anyone says he's actually the Messiah, if anyone says, hey, he, he's the one we've been waiting for, they've threatened the people and said, you're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. Now, that is not the same as us being kicked out of church, the way we have experienced church. This is, you are kicked out of all social economic, relational things for good. You are ostracised completely if you are kicked out of the synagogue. And his parents were dragged into this, one to say, is this really your son? Because now that he can see, but you know, everyone's saying he used to be blind. Um, and the parents basically said, well, yeah, he is our son. No idea how he can see, but you talk to him because we're staying out of it. 
is basically what has happened. So we'll pick up the story in verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man came from. Now that argument we've seen in John's gospel up to this point a couple of times. We don't even know where he's from, this guy. But they did because they knew he was Jesus from Nazareth and they knew some of his family and, and they're going, How, you know, who is this guy? But I know this, the man said. I was blind, but now I see. Do you know your testimony has strength? Do you know your testimony of your life with Jesus and the revelation you've had of who he is and the difference he's made in your world has strength? And do you know somebody cannot argue with your testimony? It is your story. It is your lived experience. Somebody cannot say you are wrong when you share your testimony because it is your story. It could rub them up the wrong way and they could have issues with it, but they can't argue it. So there's something powerful about us sharing our testimony because it is our story and it's God's story in one. I know one thing for sure, he said, I was blind, but now I see. So let's continue. Verse 30 of chapter 9. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of somebody born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Imagine saying that to these religious leaders. Man, he's got some courage at the moment. And then their response, you were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. So the thing that his parents feared would happen to them if they gave testimony ends up happening to the man. He's thrown out of the synagogue, excommunicated, banished. I don't know if you've experienced this in your world, but aligning with Jesus can actually be costly. Maybe it's in your family relationships. Maybe it's in a work situation can actually be costly to align with Jesus. But we've just read in chapter 8, but we can know the truth through Jesus because Jesus is the truth. And when we know the truth, we can be set free from the things that bind us and ensnare us and, and, and entrap us. And there's actually a new way to see the world. There's actually uh, a way that we can look at the power structures and the cultural dynamics and the social constructs and we can actually step into this place of boldness and confidence because we know the truth. And that's what we're starting to see in this man. 
The shift is significant, and it's happening just in a few conversations. So in verse 35, we continue the story. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you now. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. So we're in chapter 9 of John. Straight after chapter 9 comes chapter 10. Surprise, surprise. And, and it's just the story continuing. And in chapter 10, we see Jesus change what he's talking about and, and shift it to sheep and shepherds. And he talks about how a, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And he's just said to this guy here, yeah, you haven't seen me yet, but don't you recognise the voice? Don't you recognise this was the voice who first said to you, go and do this and you'll be healed? And the man has recognised the voice and now believes. Recognised the voice and is willing to follow. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the third sign, which was the crippled man who was healed. Remember that story? And the crippled man, Jesus came up to him, basically said, do you want to get well? And he gave all these excuses about why he's not well. And Jesus healed him anyway. And off he went after he was healed and he went to the temple and he did what he had to do um, according to their custom. And then Jesus ran into him again. Jesus went and found him just like he did with this man. And this guy's response was quite different. The guy who was healed, who couldn't walk, there was no indication that he acknowledged Jesus as Lord. There was no indication he was overly thankful. There was no indication that, that um, he, he would bring praise or honour to Jesus. He just sort of went off on his own way. But this man who was born blind, he went through a bit of a journey. And he went through the journey that John paints through his whole gospel. So we've got this picture. Sorry, they're out of whack. But this man started, the blind man started with, who healed you? What happened, they asked him. And he said, well, the man they called Jesus put some mud on my eyes. So his first indication with Jesus was he's just this man. And then a little bit later, they asked him again, you know, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And he said, well, he must be a prophet because somebody normal can't do these things. And then when he's giving testimony, he actually says to the Pharisees, well, if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. So obviously he's a man of God. He's a good man. And then after Jesus found the man and asked him, do you believe in me? Yes, Lord, I believe, he said, and he worshipped Jesus. And we see this man go through this transition of acknowledging Jesus first as a man, then as a prophet, then as a, a man of God, but then as actually the Son of God. And that's what John's Gospel does in its entirety. It takes us on that journey. And we're seeing this just in chapter 9 in one man's life. And so then as the story winds up, Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think that they see that they are blind. 
And some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. So right at the beginning, we've got the disciples asking Jesus, who did the wrong thing? Who's guilty here? Is it the man or is it his parents to result in his blindness? Who's guilty? Whose guilt has caused the blindness? And we finish this story with Jesus saying to the Pharisees, hey, you're saying you can actually see, not just physically but spiritually, but, but you are blind. And because you think you can see spiritually when the truth is you can't, your guilt's remaining. Now, I had a bit of an issue when I read through this because in verse 39, it says, Jesus says, I came to render judgment. And we have read previously in John's gospel in chapter 3, again in chapter 5, and again, I think in chapter 8, that Jesus is saying, I did not come to judge. That pulled me up a little bit. I thought, hey, what's going on here? Did he come to judge? Did he not come to judge? Does he not know what he's doing? What do we do here? And as I just thought about it, I read a bit about it. See, in, in, in chapter 3, the famous verse, Jesus, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 goes on, Jesus saying, I didn't come to condemn the world, I come to save the world. But there's something about the judgment of Jesus. Don't, don't think punishment, just think making a, a decision to declare something to be as it is. There's something about the judgment of Jesus that is the, it's the effect of our response to his invitation. So we are given an invitation to live in the light, to step into the kingdom of God, and our choice will render a position where there is judgment from Jesus in terms of how we've responded or not. The reason for Jesus coming was to give life, life in the kingdom of God. But the result of his coming was that there was judgment for those who refused to believe in him. The reason he came was to give life, free offer. But when we choose to reject that, judgment is the outcome of that. The Pharisees had natural sight. They claimed they had spiritual sight. But their response to Jesus showed that they were still really blind. And in this sense, that brings judgment to them. Jesus' presence divides the world into those who come into the light and allow it to change and to heal and direct their lives and those who resist the light and choose to remain in darkness, even though some would declare that they can still see. So this passage of John chapter 9, can I encourage you this week to sit in it, to read it, but not read it in isolation. Look at chapter 8 a little bit that leads into it. Look at chapter 10 a little bit that leads out of it because it's all the one narrative. And allow it to do for us what it has done for this blind man. Allow us to see Jesus for who he truly is. Pray for fresh revelation from the Spirit, from the living Word that we would encounter the living God through the person of Jesus Christ through his word in a way that is as real as this man whose eyes were opened. 
chapter 9 in John's Gospel, in fact the whole of John's Gospel, leads us all to a point of decision. Do we believe in, in Jesus and step into the light or do we reject Jesus and stay in the darkness? That's a decision every single one of us has. And as we've talked about, when, when we use the word believe in John's Gospel, it's that ongoing belief. It's not that one-off decision. It's a daily, moment-by-moment moment decision to step into the truth of who Jesus is. That's what we want to be doing as a community of people so we can take that into the world around us. Let's do that together. Let me pray. So, Father God, I thank you for, I thank you for a story like this in John chapter 9. I thank you for so many touch points that are just so relevant to the life we live today where there is suffering and there is hurt and there is questioning and there is doubt and there is revelation available and there, it's just this mixture of what it means to be living in a broken world. But in the middle of that, God, you have your Holy Spirit at work in us to reveal to us the truth of Jesus, to reveal to us the the truth of your word and I ask for us as a community that we would step into this in a fresh way and carry this out to the people in our neighbourhoods, in our streets, in our workplaces, in our homes so that we would be those light bearers that you see us to be. Would you help us in this? Where we have unbelief, would you help us in that? Where we have doubt, would you help us in that? Where we need courage and boldness, would you empower us in that? We want to be your people, your church, for your glory in this place where you've placed us in your name. We pray that together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Um, I love when you said, what does a Christian look like? Um, I once led a senior led on a, at a respite camp at Camp Tukley and I um, overheard these young kids saying I was a bikey because I had tattoos <laughs> and just the innocence of young children and they had no idea that I was a follower of Jesus and um, declared him as my Lord and Saviour and that is the thing we don't know out there who is a Christian and who isn't and I love that because we're kind of sent on a secret mission from God when people don't know that we are followers of him. Um, this next song is one of my personal favourites. Obviously, that's why I chose it. And it's called Reckless Love. And when we say reckless love, we don't mean that God loves us in a bad way. It's because He loves us unconditionally and He loves us without fear. So that, in His words, is reckless. Um, in the first line where it says, Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. In Zephaniah 3.17, if I pronounce it right, it says, God speaks over His people by saying, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Then it goes on to the next line. You have been so, so good to me. In Psalm 13.6, it says, I will sing to the Lord because He is good to me. And then it goes on to say, Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. In Genesis 2.7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then it finishes by saying, You have been so, so kind to me. In Psalm 117.2, it says, For his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting 
praise the Lord. What I love when we worship is we're not just singing songs, we're not just singing words, we're actually singing words through His Word, which is truth. So I just hope that um, when we sing this song, we could sing it wholeheartedly, sing it true into us as He is singing truth into, into us. So please join me, stand, sit, whatever you feel comfortable as we sing our last song.
blind, but now I see. No shadow, I won't light up. No mountain, I won't climb up. There is power in our testimony, in our own story, and nobody can refute it. What's your story? of renewal that recognises that there is suffering but he's the redeemer the reconciler, the renewer he's the reconciler that avoids a formula does it differently each time he's the redeemer that invites you to participate there are things that we need to do idea of the of the progression I'd never seen that in that passage before we go on from understanding Jesus as a man to a prophet to a man of God to the son of God and that is the whole point of what John is recording that we might know that we might believe that Jesus is the son of God and that that would change everything if you want to know more about this Jesus then please come and see me come and see Pete or Andrew or Steph or chat with the person next to you. It's come to know this this man, Jesus. If you're watching online, you can go to our connection point on our on our website. If you want to explore baptism, if you want to explore partnership, leading or joining a home group, or if you would like to receive prayer, uh, then come and speak to me in a moment. Or again, you can go to connection point on the website. Don't don't walk out the door this morning if you know that you need prayer. Pray for one another. Come and ask to be prayed for. There are plenty of people who would love to be praying for our brothers and sisters this morning. Let me pray for us now and then we can head out into our week. So, Father God, in the name of your Son and by the power of your Holy Spirit within us, we commit ourselves and we commit our households to you again this week. Would you be our guide? Would you be our protector, our provider? Would you be our teacher and our healer? Would you go before us into this week in everything that we do, everywhere we go, everything we think and feel and say and choose? Would you make our paths straight? Would you conform us to the image of your Son? Would you send us on your mission in this place? We pray it in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great week. Talk to each other. Pray for each other. Thank you.